The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at original accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet The podcast in which we learn to love silence And not just because the philosopher princess Makes our eyes roll into the back of our heads When she starts waxing poetic The podcast in which we dust off and polish up an oft-maligned little character trait that we might have let become tarnished over the years. The virtue of curiosity. The podcast in which we parse through thoughts about destiny and self that big thinkers have been arguing about for years. We want to understand why curiosity about ourselves and our ability to consider our own lives, that is, where we come from, our past, our families, and our cultures, why it is absolutely essential to living our ideal life. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different because this week I have a very, very, very special guest. Since we are going to be tackling a historically dense topic about which, while I have tons of unproven theories, I am not perfectly credible, I figured that I would introduce you to the podcast's secret weapon, the philosopher princess's faithful companion, the real-life philosopher prince. That's right. Today, you are going to discover that handsome devil who my smoking hot grandma shockingly claimed tried to French kiss her when they first met. The one who I have been making out to sound like Pippi Le Pew, that ever-patient father to my scalawags, my charming, indulgent French husband. But before he comes for a visit to Wonderland, I want to explain why we are going on a philosophical tangent today. Throughout our time together, since the very first episode of this podcast, I have been doing my best to spread around my own homemade brand of fairy dust to remind you that you are unique and wonderful and that you make this world a better place. I have been trying, with my enthusiastic waves of the magic wand, to get you thinking about what your ideal life looks like and, most importantly, what kind of person you are in your ideal life. We've looked at it from a bunch of different angles. That is, what talents have you always possessed but might have let get away from you? What activities help you get into flow and you don't even see time pass when you're doing them? And how do you want to be remembered by the people you love? If those are some of the positive angles that we've talked about, we've also, on purpose, taken off our rose-colored glasses and started studying the things that irritate us, the things that feel like rocks in our shoes and that have clear and obvious origins. We even talked about how to make headway with those things. We also talked about how unresolved pain from earlier seasons of our life can cast a shadow over our present in ways that can seem difficult to define until we do the hard work of tracing back those triggers. This is something best done with professional mental health support, a trained ear to listen as you unpack painful memories and seek out healthy ways to bring healing. If all those first 13 episodes didn't do enough to convince you that you are one of the most fascinating human beings on the face of the earth, then I can only believe one thing. You haven't spent enough time being curious about yourself. Next week, we're gonna start a new series of episodes. 
our goal will be to take the categories of the ideal life exercises one by one. Each one of those seductive little circles on the Venn diagrams of our lives and oh, please don't be shocked. I have a thing for Venn diagrams. My husband knows about this and he has for more than 20 years. He's been willing to accept this as a part of our relationship and you know, I don't call him indulgent for nothing. We are going to examine these themes, these categories. We're gonna start asking questions about them. Start taking their temperature. Start taking a hard, realistic look at our current situation and our current circumstances and be willing to give our active, enthusiastic consent to where we are today. After which, we can start imagining where we wanna go from here and what small steps we can take immediately to help us get there. We're gonna talk about how developing good habits and routines can help make more space in our lives, headspace and heart space. One, one of those terms being a real one, the other one that I invented, I'll let you guess which one that one is. Also, we'll talk about how living more simply and with less stuff can actually help us redistribute how we use our time so that we might actually feel like we have more time. And remember, time is that precious, incompressible resource that we have established as one of the things in our life that we must guard jealously. Because, argue, beg, borrow, or steal, we ain't gonna get a minute more than that which is allotted to us. But all that starts next week. Before we take off on this exciting, life-extending adventure, we all need to get on the same page about something. We all need to learn how to spend time alone with our thoughts. So, in this week's episode, I, along with my indulgent, charming philosopher husband, want to encourage you to start being curious about yourself. And Lyella Kelly is going to be here too. She's going to talk about being curious about yourself. Every single day, all three of us want to encourage you to set aside a moment of the day, every single day, to be alone with your thoughts. In the feedback that I've gotten from you, I find that many of you are still resistant to the idea of getting up early in order to have some time alone to cross that big, scary, raging water of self-reflection. If you're new to the podcast, well, first of all, welcome. I am so glad you're here. And to catch you up, I have been advocating for setting your alarm 15 minutes before anyone else in your house gets up and to preciously guard that time for yourself. I have also suggested that you prepare for those first few minutes, that you prepare for them the night before. The way you might have gotten ready for a high school dance, you get everything together. It's gonna be an exciting time. So you treat those 15 minutes that you're gonna have as this time you're gonna spend with an honored guest. To get ready, I suggest that you prepare your coffee maker the night before and you set up your space, whether it's a couch or a desk or a table with, but you have a blanket and a sweater and a notebook and your favorite pen and a box of tissues. I don't want you wasting a second of those precious 15 minutes of your day looking around for the things that you're going to need. This process of getting everything ready in advance is called mise en place, and it is something that we'll be talking about at length in the next season. It is a game changer in so, so many ways. Since the start of the podcast, and since Lyella, your wicked stepsister, has joined me, we have been giving you homework, thought experiments to perform, memories to explore, prompts to answer. What I've learned, though, is that for some of you, the idea of any time alone with your thoughts is terrifying. Well, since I'm a functional introvert, this has never been a problem for me. I love to be alone. But I realize that I may have taken the superpower for self-reflection for granted, which is why I called in the big guns today. 
But before I introduce you to the Philosopher Prince, I want to start by asking you one question. When was the last time you were completely alone? If you were the mother of young babies and toddlers, the answer can be startling. You might genuinely not remember. Babies and toddlers have a way of taking up all the oxygen in a room. And because they need us all the time, we can't even get away from them to go to the bathroom, let alone take five or 10 or 15 minutes to think. I hear you, mama. And remember, that is exactly why I started setting my alarm for 15 minutes before anyone else in my house woke up, which at the time was four o'clock AM. Is it unfair when the only thing in the world you really wanna do is sleep for five more minutes? Why yes, it does feel unfair. But the cost of letting ourselves, of letting our identity and our dreams and our sparkle slip away is so great. Losing ourselves does not happen overnight. It happens over weeks and weeks and months and months of living in urgency and stress and of caring for little people and caring for other people. Our work as mothers, spouses, employees, these are critically important and you will never hear me say the contrary. But allowing ourselves to consistently ignore ourselves, ignore our dreams, and ignore what makes us feel alive as individuals can cause us to end up on paths that we don't recognize, that we don't enjoy, and that leave us feeling empty and numb. One day, sooner or later, that numbness catches up to us. For many people, it manifests itself through depression or grief or midlife crisis. If we haven't learned how to examine our hearts and our thoughts and our past, to question our feelings and our upbringing and our preconceived notions, to articulate our desires and our discomforts, to learn how to articulate the word no, then we will end up in therapy or with a long string of broken relationships, career hardships, and unresolved conflicts. We don't lose ourselves overnight. We will not find ourselves overnight either. So when I ask, when was the last time you were completely alone? I want you to understand that I have great compassion for where you are right now. I understand about urgency and about feeling overwhelmed, but I would argue humbly that a few minutes completely alone with your thoughts can help to reduce the adrenaline of urgency and the cortisol of being overwhelmed. You see, if you take a few minutes to examine your thoughts and your triggers, you can prepare for them. And this can help you find solutions to those problems that seem unimaginable when you're in the heat of the moment. Solutions to small problems can add up to significant progress over time, and this can make our lives so much more joyful. Getting started on this journey can be hard and scary. To develop any new habit, we need to know our why. Why is it that we are doing this ostensibly unpleasant and repetitive new thing every period, single period, day, period? Let me suggest one very good reason. Because you need to fall in love with yourself. I've been arguing since episode one of this podcast that no one knows you as well as you know you. 
No one is better placed to love you because you know what it would take for you to feel loved. Back in episode 7, called My Intentional Valentine, I waxed philosophical about falling in love. At one point, I made this rash pronouncement. I said, respect for oneself is the ultimate form of self-love. Once we respect ourselves, we will start making decisions that are good for us. That didn't come out of nowhere, of course. I had a whole tra-la-la that once before it, it was something like, "Mm." when we start to fall in love, we become infatuated. Our thoughts are always with the person we love. And I suggested that perhaps you try, if only for a little bit, being infatuated with yourself. View yourself as someone intriguing, worthy of all your thought, all your extra time, all your affection. Not forever, just for a little bit. Be madly in love with yourself for a little bit. Infatuation, I argued, it grows into swoon. Swoon grows into admiration, and admiration grows into respect. And if you remember, respect is how we start making good decisions for ourselves, but we've got to start somewhere. I've been saying all this for weeks, but I never stopped to consider that this idea might sound crazy to some people. Being in love with yourself? Who has time for that? But here's my honest-to-goodness hot take on the subject. You need to make the time. We always find times for the things that we want to do, which, for many of us, can simply be scrolling through social media endlessly or binge-watching a TV show. If there's time for those things, then there must be a little 15-minute window that we can dedicate to falling in love with ourselves. Our relationship with ourself will be the longest one we have in all of our lives. Cultivating a loving, kind, respectful relationship with ourself is critical because it impacts all our other relationships. Loving ourselves is a prerequisite to following the golden rule, which says to love others as we love ourselves. And if you follow my logic on this, if we don't love ourselves, we cannot possibly follow the golden rule. So, speaking of logic, let me introduce you to my special guest. I met him, and this is no joke, at a bus stop in the southern French city of Montpellier in 1997, 20 years to the day before our first child was born. I was just 18, and he was uh, not 18. Is that right, mon chéri? That's right, my chéri. <laughs> and why were you in Montpellier in 1997? Studying to become a teacher. And what kind of teacher? A philosophy teacher. And you had written your thesis on logic. Mm-hmm. A little something that made me very, very interested in knowing you better. I think we yeah. had several conversations about Venn diagrams at the time. <laughs> I think. <laughs> you spoke my love language, what can I say? As you know, Sherry, uh, this episode we're talking about getting to know ourselves, which is why I asked you to come wax philosophical with me today. Um, just to catch you up, I was sharing with my listeners that I firmly believe that unless we have a warm, friendly, affectionate, loving relationship with ourselves, there is no way that we can ever follow the golden rule. That's what you said? (laughs) Is there something wrong with that? No, but I don't think it's true that you can't follow the golden rule if you don't love yourself. You can still act out of love, even if you're full of self-loathing. Well, I agree with that. So what you're saying is that we can act in a way consistent with how we want to be treated, regardless of how we feel about ourselves. And you are saying... That to truly love others as we love ourselves presupposes that we love ourselves. Exactly. All right. (laughs) We're singing from the same hymn book. And I totally agree with what you said. We can act kindly towards others even if we don't love ourselves. But I don't think that it's sustainable. We all do, though. I mean, guilt is a huge driver of human behavior. And guilt is definitely not love, either. Mm. Guilt. That's a big enough subject to have a whole episode about. But why are we talking about guilt? 
Well, we were actually talking about falling in love. <laughs> so tell me what you remember about the first few months that we were getting to know each other. I remember that we went to the zoo. <laughs> That's right. It was right behind where I lived, and it was free. And it was a great place for a walk. That's right. Um, what else? We played Mastermind. Is that that game with the little colored dots? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. We did that for hours. I mean, we did that like 24 hours straight. What about you? What do you remember? Um, I remember that we talked, and we talked all the time. We shared our stories, ideas, theories, because nice. I had a theory for everything. Uh, you still do. <laughs> of course I do. I have a theory, in fact. Um, it's a very important theory. Um, it's that one critical element of falling in love with someone is that we spend time with them, getting to know them. Not necessarily doing anything, just spending time with them. Can't argue with that one. <laughs> I was hoping I wasn't saying anything terribly controversial. But tell me, mon chéri, if we were to take this theory of falling in love with ourselves, that in order to fall in love, we need to spend time and getting to know ourselves and getting to know that object of our affection, is there anything in the philosophical literature that would come to support my theory? Socrates once said... <laughs> Ladies, just so you know, I edited out an audible eye roll. What? <laughs> Nothing, hmm? Siri. Nothing. Please go on. Socrates once said... <laughs> he once said, know thyself. Uh, does he tell us how? But that would be too easy. What he's talking about is how important it is to strip away our superstitions and our preconceived ideas. He's talking about being humble and that there is very little we can actually know. He's famous for saying, one thing I know is that I don't know anything. Know thyself is a call to humility. Freud then took that phrase and put a twist on it. Know thyself means dig into your past. Know your childhood. This will help you figure out where your self-loathing or other problems might come from. So it's Freud that made this idea popular. Freud is the one who says we must take our past seriously, yes. To the point of saying, were you to take this knowing yourself seriously, you might avoid some of what you're going through. Feelings of worthlessness, anxiety, self-loathing, and so on. I have perhaps naively been saying to my listeners that I believe they exist for a reason. I do believe you exist for a reason. And I believe that they have a plan for their lives. I do believe that there is a plan for your life. Is there anything out there that could support this? Sartre said that there is no essence to life. He believed that our life is what we make it to be. Anything else would presuppose a true self, an idea that he did not support. But, I mean, let's take Gigi, for example. Ah, uh, Gigi. Oh. Our Gigi. <laughs> Our Gigi. Our dear Gigi. Gigi, for example, had an outsized influence on all her children and grandchildren. Hmm. I mean, our youngest scalawag, ours, who was one of her great-grandchildren, he never met her. He was born long after she died, but he has a way of speaking that I swear sounds exactly like her. So how is it possible if he never met her? He's never even lived on the same continent that she did. You know, there is a body of thought that discusses genetic predisposition to certain character traits. I suppose a way of speaking could be one of those, but not to mention that our parents, in the case, our little Mr. Sunshine, <laughs> we started writing his story long before he got a chance to pick up a pen. Or that permanent marker that he uses as a sword uh, sometimes. Touché, touché. <laughs> and our parents, or we as parents, do write in permanent marker. We can unintentionally leave scars on those we love, and they can be permanent. So Freud suggests that our childhoods hold the key to much of who we end up. And if we want to take Socrates and his famous Know Thyself doctrine under advisement, spending some time thinking about our childhoods would be a good way to start. Sure would. A lot of people turn to therapy to help them with this. 
In last week's episode, we talked about legacy, and actually, Gigi is a really interesting tie-in here, because the legacy that those who went before us left can be a fascinating clue as to how we end up the way that we are. This would be true in both good and bad ways. Yeah, and understanding where people come from. And by people, I mean the people who had influence over us as we were growing up, knowing the context in which they were raised, why they might have behaved toward us the way they did. Well, it might not excuse their behavior, but it does explain it. Knowledge is power. Mm. And knowing why can help us be more compassionate and maybe even help us forgive, which is something we also talked about a few episodes ago. So what are some other ways to know ourselves? You know, the German philosopher Hegel writes about being conscious of ourselves. There are two ways of getting to know ourselves. The theoretical, the sit-down-and-write approach, but that we also discover ourselves when we do things, taking initiatives, getting out of our comfort zone. And what's interesting with Hegel is that he says we are in a dialectic that is constant progression of seasons. We need to get to the bottom of one issue, come to a resolution, and then we can move on and address another one. It's like what Layela talked about when she was talking about closing the casket, that we need to end one season and transition to the next. Hey, there's a nice quote from Saint-Exupéry. The one who wrote The Little Prince? But this quote is from another book. It's called Terre des Hommes, Wind, Sand, and Stars in English. And he says, I quote, The earth teaches us more about ourselves than books, because she resists us. Man discovers himself when he measures himself against obstacles, the trials of our lives and time reveal us to ourselves. There's one notion that I like a lot. It's the idea of the blueprint, you know, the universal core. Ooh, what's that? It's the idea that there exists a kind of schematic drawing of what our life is to look like and that we're given a certain amount of material to build what is found on that blueprint. Ooh, I love that idea. But I bet Sartre would hate it. Yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> we don't necessarily have to agree with Sartre. It's just interesting to know what he said. But with this idea of a blueprint, then aren't we necessarily entering into a discussion of destiny? And isn't that a little bit of a leap of faith? Sure. But just to oppose Sartre even further, there's this idea that humans were created in the image of God. Conversations about faith and purpose and predestination are as old as time itself. So, so wait, you've got me thinking here. Mm-hmm. Your, your blueprint idea that we have tools and materials to build our lives according to a blueprint and my theory about the bags of gold uh, was a theory based on the idea that each of us has a certain amount of time, talent, and treasure to invest throughout our lives. They're remarkably similar. But the problem with both theories, though, is that in neither case do we know what the final picture is going to look like. If we did, it would make it so much easier to draw just a straight line from here to there. We could avoid all the drama and discomfort and just get directly to the good stuff. But, you know, many of the character traits that we need in order to accomplish great things are forged through difficulty. Remember what John Locke said? John Locke the philosopher? No, you know John Locke on Lost, <laughs> that series we would watch every Wednesday with your mom. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, he took the example of the butterfly. You remember? Yeah. Uh, that butterfly that had to struggle to get out of his cocoon. If someone were to cut the cocoon open to help the butterfly out, the butterfly could not fly. It is the struggle to get out of the cocoon that strengthens the butterfly's wings so that when he is finally free of the cocoon, he can fly. Hmm. I obviously cannot argue with an example taken from Lost. (laughs) The image is beautiful, because I think that we can all agree that there are hardships in our lives that have made us stronger. What I totally love about this illustration is that while we, the outside observer, know that a caterpillar will become a butterfly, it's unclear if that fuzzy little caterpillar knows what his destiny is. Which brings... (laughs) 
that's my cat, <laughs> oh, cat. <laughs> which brings the blueprint slash bags of gold theory full circle. It's a total leap of faith. You know, reflecting on those hardships and, and gaining perspective on them is exactly what Hegel would have us do. I think what we're saying here is that while getting to know ourselves is the first step in falling in love with ourselves, it can feel like a struggle for some of us. And that's okay. It's okay to need professional help. Keeping our eye on what we hope to be, not just some creepy crawly caterpillar, but on that lovely, elegant butterfly, will hopefully sustain us as we work through some of the discomfort. Mm. Thank you, mon chéri. Thank you to my cat. You're most welcome. <laughs> Thank you for Thank taking you, the <laughs> time to talk with us today. Would you come back if we can get rid of the cat? <laughs> <laughs> Even with the cat, I would love to. Perfect. Maybe especially with the cat. <laughs> That's him. Well, thank you, Prince Charming Fields, and to my lovely cat, Sunny, for their participation in today's show. You guys are fabulous. All right, next up, we have Lyella Kelly, Death Doula, and your wicked stepsister, who's here to talk to us a little bit about being curious. Curiosity killed the cat. Oh my, that poor kitty. Fortunately, we are not cats, and curiosity will not kill us. But we are curious. And our inquisitive nature, it starts when we're really young. Where did the dinosaurs go? Why did swear words get invented if we're not supposed to say them? Why can't we see our eyes? Why don't crabs have eyebrows? Children ask these questions because curiosity helps us to learn about the world we live in and our place in it. As we grow, our curiosity leads us to ask bigger questions like, what happens when we die? Or how will I be remembered? It's also at least partially responsible for the popularity of Dr. Pimple Popper. But curiosity can help us discover so much more than pimples or the fainting goats of YouTube. Curiosity can help us engage with ourselves and strengthen our relationships with others. Curiosity is an exceptionally versatile quality. Have you ever considered that curiosity could be such a valuable tool that it could really be a game changer? Research shows that curious people are happier people. They tend to report higher levels of positive emotions, lower levels of anxiety, more satisfaction with life, and greater psychological well-being. Curiosity is inquisitive. It's an adventure seeker, always looking to explore. Curiosity is a positive, even when it comes to topics like death. As I've mentioned before, talking about death won't kill you. But I am going to remind you, I am the wicked stepsister. I do make people uncomfortable. And this conversation today, it may get a little wicked and a little uncomfortable. But let's jump right in. Let's get curious about death. The first thing that we need to establish is a basic fact. Here it is. You are going to die. I am going to die. We are all going to die. With that simple truth, we can safely say that this conversation applies to all of us. So then, what can we be curious about? Let's start nice and easy with a question that we have already talked about. In my ideal death, I am a person who what? Are you a person with a great shoe collection? Are you known for your amazing lasagna recipe? 
your laughter, your artistic flair, your spirit of adventure, generosity, whatever it is, what would you like to be known for? What kinds of things are you doing in your day-to-day life right now that will help you become that person? Next question. What are some reasons why being mortal is good? What do you think? For me, I would say appreciation. Knowing and understanding that life is fleeting makes me think about how I'm using my time every day. It makes me appreciate the good things that I have and the opportunities that I have. And I realize that things are going to change. And so I should be living appreciatively and try to be content with my life right now. So your turn. What do you think are some good things about being mortal? They may be completely different than mine. So this is pretty easy, right? We're talking about death, thinking about our own death, and it's okay. You are doing so well. So we're going to take it a little notch harder. Here's your next question. What preparations have you made for your own death? How does that question make you feel? Is your first thought, oh, I'm, I'm too young to worry about that. I really don't need to think about that right now. Or maybe you're reaching for the little forward button and just thinking, let me get back to Lily because she's nicer to me than you are. Let me reassure you, those are all completely fine reactions. They give you a great opportunity to exercise your curiosity. Maybe you were able to face that question just head on without darting away. If so, fantastic. Keep up the good work. Uh, Keep doing your preparations. If not, if you found that right away, little excuses started popping up so that you could avoid the question, explore those feelings too. That is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to be curious about yourself and learn what you're feeling. Because when we become better acquainted with how we feel about something, then we can make strategies for the challenges that might pop up in the future. We'll be better prepared and that will benefit not only us, but others as well. I really want to help you to use your curiosity to explore this topic further. Not because I want you to get all creepy and morbid. That is not why I'm here. That is not what this is about. I want you to explore because I wholeheartedly believe that our awareness of death helps us to make the best use of our lives right now. With that in mind, I have an invitation to extend. It's something I'm pretty excited about. I will be hosting my first ever virtual death cafe in a couple of weeks. I would be so excited if you would join me for coffee, cake, and an open, safe, and 100% free conversation about death. If you've never heard of Death Cafes, check them out at deathcafe.com. You'll find everything you need to know there. Lily will be adding more information in the show notes. I really hope to see you there. And in the meantime, stay curious. You have such a great gift for this. Thank you, Layla. Thanks for getting us thinking. A very special thank you to Mr. Charming Fields, the Philosopher Prince, for dropping by Wonderland today. If you have a philosophy-related question that you've been looking for a thoughtful, non-judgy answer to, I would be delighted to pass it on to him. 
If you have stories about how you can set aside time in order to do this exercise, or a story about how you make it work, I'd love to hear about it. You can also reach out to me by email, lily at lilyfieldschallenge.com. That's lily, L-I-L-Y, at lilyfieldschallenge.com. Or on social media, that's at lilyfieldschallenge on Instagram. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. It's at Sing With Your Feet. You're going to find those links to Lyella's work in the show notes. She is such an amazing resource, and I am so thankful for her sharing her knowledge and experience with us. Also, a very big sing with your feet thank you to Seven Production here in Mulhouse, France, for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show, and a very, very special thank you to Matt Kugler for his vocal stylings. Well, this is your fairy godmother signing off. Remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet. <laughs>